This is Joseph Clare, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Theology. Hey, welcome to George Fox Talks Theology Podcast. It's such a privilege to be with my guest today, Richard Foster. <laughs> it's wonderful to be with you, Joseph. Yeah, this this conversation, I have to say, I'm I'm getting into the podcast swing and trying uh-huh. to prepare and trying to not feel nervous. But this is one where I just thought, what an amazing privilege to talk to you for oh. however long this goes and just you're to, very kind to i'm glad to be here you you uh you don't need an introduction you're an author of many many books including celebration mm. of discipline over 40 years ago which has right. blessed so many people's lives of faith and journeys with christ and you're you're famous around here especially this is george fox <laughs> university and you're you're our alum of alums, and we're very we're grateful to God and proud of the work that you've done. Well, it's very kind of the college to <laughs> uh, still own me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll take you as long as you want to be. Yeah, all right, but all I right. wonder. I guess that's my lead-in to the conversation is um, this building we're in, this campus, this uh-huh. little ravine of Hess Creek Canyon, uh-huh. this place, George Fox University or George Fox College, as it right. was when you were here, right? This town of Newburgh, Newburgh Friends Church. I mean, this is this is um, this is this is home for you. This it is. is. It's a wonderful, and it's just been a delight to come back and see. Of course, lots of changes, hmm. but uh, a lot of similarities too. And it's just lovely to. I mean, I used to walk this canyon a lot. That was before there was paths and what you have now but yeah i'd walk it all the time hmm. and uh, didn't find any more bears or anything down there but uh. <laughs> our famous bruin yeah uh, for which right. we mascotted ourselves <laughs> yeah you've written about the importance of place in the life mm-hmm. of faith and the journey mm-hmm. with god and how mm-hmm. tangible material place trees right. canyons spots on earth can become thin places where heaven and earth touch or you Indeed. experience god and there's a sacredness there Spiritual formation always has a local address, Hmm. and uh, it's important to know that. And that doesn't mean that uh, we don't find God other places, Mm -hmm. but we need to root ourselves somewhere. Hmm. And, uh, And the relationships, because these things are always done in community, never in isolation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, and this is a great place to be. Right. I think I would love to hear you reflect, are there moments or experiences you've had in this place, either this oh, campus indeed. or this town, that are formative in your own journey? I remember, uh, now during that time, I held two or three jobs, as I remember, <laughs> and uh, uh I had to had to study hard because I was not, you know, a super hmm. uh, student, and so I had to work, you know, to get through these classes. And I was I was one time I remember feeling sorry for myself, hmm. and uh, and I walked out. I don't believe it was the canyon; it was another area into the woods a bit. It was uh, late at night, and I just walked out and began prayers of complaint. You know, why me, and why do I have to, all of this. And then it was this incredible sense of God, be still, Hmm. and I'm with you, and I will take care of you. Hmm. And that was all I needed. I came out of that. I mean, my problems weren't solved, Mm. none of that kind of stuff, but a deep sense that uh, I was okay. Mm. Yeah. And that's the best place to be. Right. Yeah. Seems like that's the theological resolution of so much of our experience of challenge and questions Mm -hmm. is that peace that surpasses understanding rather than a resounding solution or answer to the question. (laughs) That's right. No. I wonder, to roll back for a second, um, one of the things I've been wrestling with is how the internet 
and it's many sort of like beautiful tentacles has totally transformed <laughs> our ways of relating and communicating and digesting and being informed. Right. And I mean, take what we're doing right now. We're hoping this goes out, this conversation and mm -hmm. video and audio goes out, touches people's lives in some ways. And that'd be a beautiful thing, right? That's cool. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, you couldn't have imagined this even when I was in high school in the nineties that you yeah. could have a recorded conversation. People all over the world could tune in. But on the other hand, if spiritual formation in the Christian life always has a local address, always has a place, there's a community in time, there's like a material element, the internetification of our life mm -hmm. has felt like it's kind of like evaporated some of that or gutted the main streets of our lives in a certain sense. So how do you how do you balance like what's good about this new digital horizon and what well, we're losing? Well, first we need to see the danger. Mm. And the danger is distraction. Mm. And uh, if we're a distracted people, full of muchness and manyness, mm. then we begin, can become to deal with that. Mm. And uh, so that all of the technology and the internet structures and all of those things don't control us, mm. but, and we're able to discipline those things so that we can receive good from them and and not be destroyed by them. Hmm. Uh, I mean, simply taking, for example, uh, a fast from, uh, from news hmm. <laughs> for a while, because news programs are intent and aim to fill us with fear. And so when we see that and deal with that, then we can begin... And then, and then there's things that can be a great blessing mm. to us. Mm -hmm. uh, just last night, uh, I was with our son, and we were watching a, f a film, The Education of Little Tree. Mm. And uh, it's, a, it's a story of Native American boy, Little Tree, eight years old, and uh, his growing up in the Great Smoky Mountains mm. and uh, what happened with that. And, and that was great. It was a great way to, hmm. because there are a lot of other things that we could have been bombarded with. And and he could, uh, uh, I mean, Nate's great uh, with the communications with iPhone and stuff. I don't use any of that when I travel. Hmm. So I'm, I think your assistant sent me some emails and so on, which I didn't get. <laughs> And that's okay. I thought you were just dissing me by not responding, <laughs> but that makes sense. But look, I got here. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I made it. That's the first miracle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. What, what about distraction, though? So I, I think there's been enough data now that's come in about, I mean, there's this huge... Um, there's this huge whistleblowing case around Facebook investigation mm -hmm. right now I of know. like how uh, the simple technological techniques of like casino life have mm -hmm. migrated onto our phones and the way we digest interaction and communication information. And we're addicted to being distracted in a certain right. way. And yet I take it that a lot of the spiritual practices that have come through the Christian traditions, ones that you've re-celebrated for us are actually about how to shape your own attention in the exactly. right ways. So how do you see the sort of resources of our tradition giving us antidotes or how? Well, let's just remember People have to. People are different, hmm. and different people will make different kinds of decisions. Now, my son, who's with me on this particular trip, uh, really does a lot of internet stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't even. I used to have a smartphone, but I don't. I have a dumb phone now, <laughs> and it works wonderfully for me because it can do exactly what Alexander Graham Bell intended for these things. <laughs> I can actually call people. <laughs> but I also do without it. But now that's me. And that's a very different, I don't expect, uh, but people uh, simply learn to discipline mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of internet uh, systems. And, uh, and you can make certain decisions about them. Um, we must learn uh, space hmm. and silence and, uh, you know, it's, an, it's entirely possible to live without that smartphone for a while. Mm -hmm. 
Right. I, I appreciate that perspective. There's a, <laughs> there's an either or mentality, I mm-hmm. think, in some of us, i.e. myself, right. to become a Luddite, to demonize technology. And if you have any historical awareness, you realized whether it's the newspaper, the radio, the television, there's an ongoing sort of conversation of fear, a kind of like black and white thinking. And the reality is technology in general has a neutrality as right. a set of tools, depending on to what use you put it toward exactly. good or evil. Exactly. That seems balanced. So one of the things I'm most excited about at George Fox right now is this new Richard J. Foster Award in Spiritual oh. Formation, <laughs> which we were going to launch this year, but we will launch next fall, actually right around this time. Right. Give it to the first awardee. And, and part of what we're doing is just trying to celebrate the legacy of thinking around spiritual Christian spiritual mm-hmm. formation, the mm-hmm. richnesses of of the scripture and the Christian classics and the practices mm-hmm. that have been given to us. But I think for many of us, we hear the term spiritual formation and maybe aren't even totally clear what oh that is or how that relates to <laughs> life in church. Or uh, could you just begin at the most basic well, level for me? Well, think of Paul's words in Galatians. I am in travail. Now that's a birthing image. Mm. I am in travail until Christ be formed in you. Mm. That's what we mean when we talk about spiritual formation, the forming. Now, everybody has a spiritual formation. Mm. The problem is that a lot of times it's not very good. Mm. It is a deformation. And so there needs to be a reformation, a reformation of heart and mind and spirit. Mm. And that's really what we mean. We mean taking on the, the process of taking on the character of Christ-likeness. Mm. Now, there's a whole way of thinking, a whole theology behind all of that that involves the body, the mind, the spirit, the soul, all of these kinds of things. And uh, it's important to for us to think through a theology for spiritual growth. You remember when Peter in his little epistle said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, many people can make no sense out of a verse like that because they think of grace as unmerited favor, and Mm. it is that. But it is so much more than that. I mean, how do you grow Mm. in unmerited favor? Mm. You don't. But there is a, see, God inviting us into a participatory relationship in which we learn to grow in grace. Mm. It isn't just uh, sinners Mm. who need grace. Mm Mm-hmm. The saint needs grace way more. I mean, the, the, the follower of Jesus consumes grace mm. like a 747 consumes fuel mm. on takeoff. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. <laughs> but that's like the central paradox, I think, of mm-hmm. spiritual growth. And I want to unpack that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought your title your big, the kind of landmark book that got you going, Celebration (laughs) of Discipline, was always kind of disorienting, right? Like the last thing I want to do is celebrate Celebrate discipline. discipline. I've always, I I suppose that was part of the genius of your your own titling there. But how that that's that's kind of the mystery is in my my sense of the spiritual life, and maybe this is shaped more by an American kind of self-help psychology, when I hear things like spiritual growth. Um, discipline habits. There's this recovery of these old, mm-hmm. you know, kind of philosophical and spiritual traditions. I don't hear a lot of grace. I hear a lot of like, this is one more technique of a to-do list to make it through for the best you. You got to get the best you out here. And here's the- Or the a tech- kind of or a kind of legalism mm. that says, if I can uh, get, the, get the system down. Mm-hmm. I used to tell people, if you take celebration of discipline- mm and turn it into 12 steps to blessedness, I'll pray against you. <laughs> okay? This is, this is learning a relationship. God in, invites us. See, God says to us, mm. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, 
are you willing to be with me? Mm. And so learning that with God kind of life mm. is what we're talking about. And it comes, there's an old writer, Jean-Pierre de Cousade, who said, the soul, light as a feather, fluid as water, innocent as a child, responds to every movement of grace like a floating balloon. Isn't that mm. lovely? Yeah. See, and that's, the, that's discipline. Mm. It's the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Mm. I mean, I can take a basketball and I can get into a basketball hoop mm -hmm. eventually. Mm -hmm. But I can't take a basketball and get it into the basketball hoop when it needs to be gotten into the basketball hoop because I've never trained mm. as a disciplined basketball player. Mm -hmm. mm. And that same thing in the spiritual life. Yeah. So it's like a training in grace. It's training. And we have to learn the difference mm. between trying and training. What's the difference? Well, uh, when you're on the spot and you try to do something, if you don't have the in deeply ingrained habits, mm -hmm. uh, it, it will always fail. I mean, I used to play a little bit of tennis. Mm. I mean, I mean... Uh, wouldn't it, I'd love to play one of these, you know, I'm trying to remember his name now. <laughs> uh, Roger Federer. Yeah, Federer yeah. was one of my favorite. <laughs> Same press, And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 a match. If I could just win one game. No, no, <laughs> one point. Yeah. But you see, it's not in me. It's not in my, mm. uh, my muscle structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And trying when you're on the spot will always <coughs> fail. Mm-hmm. We learn to train. Mm. That's why the early Christians spoke of themselves as the athletia dei, the athletes of God. Mm. So we learn to train mm. so that when we're on the spot, the ingrained habits that have been developed mm -hmm. of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it just comes out mm. because that's what is in us. And so learning, that's, that's why, I mean, people uh, read those words of Jesus to bless those who curse you. Yeah. How do you do that? You don't do that when you're on the spot. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I fear, though, that you're still like feeding um, the achievement, the <laughs> achiever in me. I want to be the Roger Federer of the Christian faith. I want to I want to be an athlete of God. Yeah. So my my sense is like, to receive grace, the heart of the mm -hmm. gospel fundamentally is to know yourself as a beggar before God, as Luther liked to uh, to put it. Right. So, like that's ground zero, and you actually never get beyond that that's if you remain exactly right. apprentice to Christ. How do you train to know yourself as a a beggar, or to remain in a receptive, open-handed place? See, we keep thinking that this is something to master. Mm. How do you master something in which the very point is to be mastered? Mm. So we learn to just let go of all of that stuff. Mm. There are things for us to do, but the things that we do is not direct action, but indirect mm. action. Mm. So let's just say um, pride. Mm. I'm de the, you don't deal with pride by trying to deal with pride. <laughs> you deal with pride, for example, by taking up uh, a discipline like service. Mm. If I learn to serve somebody and really value them as a human being, in time, that mm. will work on my pride. I mean, it'll, it will give a kind of balance to life. Right. And I become to see this person as, as important and, uh, and all of that. See, that, so that's the righteousness of the kingdom of God through indirection hmm. rather than direct effort. So that's how we deal with this thing by by dealing with this idea that I've got to master it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to... I used to call it the white knuckle club. I'm going to mm -hmm. 
screw down the willpower and really come into God. <laughs> so there's a indirect element. Mm -hmm. It's not about mastering. It's about being mastered. So if I'm thinking about the spiritual life, it's not a, a linear or direct ascent up a mountain, but it includes these descents or slips all, or all, slides or diagonal. Right. Right. We first, we learn to be open-handed hmm. so that we're receiving. And then we're trying to listen to the Lord hmm. in terms of my day. I'll often uh, try to start a day this way when I get up. But now I'm at an age where this helps me to just move the joints. So I'll stretch a little bit, have a little stretch, which will end up uh, flat on my back with my arms stretched out, just like that. Hmm. And then, remember that verse of Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, uh, uh, help me, how does that verse go? It's no longer I who live. Who lives, but, but Christ who, who lives, lives in, in me and the yeah. life which I now live in the flesh, hmm. I live by faith in the Son of God hmm. who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. And then just be quiet for a little bit and kind of go through the day. Who will I meet today? Mm. See, and should I have a, what kind of a spirit attitude toward, oh, this is a person who's hurting. Mm. Be tender with them today. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Very so simple. That's the participatory thing you were talking about, right? Exactly. So, if you know yourself fundamentally as a beggar, as open-handed, mm -hmm. as being mastered by this gracious Lord, then if you do begin to live a life of love where you paid attention mm -hmm. to the person who needs compassion, or you actually did organize your day in a way that there was prayer and scripture and mm -hmm. good habits, you begin to recognize that it is actually no longer you, but it Christ in you, the sense of that's being right. overshadowed by the spirit like Mary was or something. So yeah. that's that sense. So if there is any, what looks like an advance in the spiritual life, you know where the real agency there is, that exactly. it's God working and moving in you. Okay. That's right. In fact, remember how uh, that Jesus says, let your light so shine before everyone hmm. that they will see your good works and glorify who? God. Hmm. Well, now, if it's your good, if it's your light, your good works, how come God gets the glory? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because we know that we've done nothing more than to receive a gift. Mm. Uh, that's and that's grace. Yeah, and that's see, that's always the sign of the work of the Spirit, is that the results are far in excess of the effort mm. put in. Yeah. Now there is effort. There are things for us to do. And primarily, that is a reference to the classical disciplines of the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. But th these are simply ways of training. Mm. And, uh, and so we undertake those. And, and we listen. God may lead us into something we'd never think of yeah. uh, to do. Uh, learn to be quiet for a little while. Learn not to have the last word in every conversation. <laughs> I don't know that one yet. And that's, that's why I do podcasts. But I, I wonder, um, yeah, I wonder how to put that in practice. I think the imagery is beautiful. I heard a sermon by Rowan Williams. You ever heard of mm -hmm. it? He was Archbishop of Canterbury and mm -hmm. great Anglican theologian. But he... Um, he had this image of the spiritual life exactly on this question of discipline as what feels a lot of times like you're digging a hole in the ground, right? You're just trying to keep at the habit and dig yeah. it. If you ever dug a hole in the ground to try to plant a tree or something, you realize <laughs> how, how dense uh, the dirt actually is now heavy. But ultimately, it's about digging far enough down that you hit groundwater, the mm -hmm. spring, the sense of, well, if you live out in the country and you're getting, you realize, wow, how magical I'm getting water out of the ground that's down there. No one knows what's going on down exactly. there. That's the spiritual life. So what felt like a digging kind of effort was actually a touching the groundwater that you couldn't have, you couldn't have put that water down there exactly. to sustain yourself. 
So there's a paradox in the midst of that. Speaking of paradoxes, I wonder if we could go dark. Let's go dark for a little bit on the spiritual life. This is something, maybe I'm 41 and it's just where I'm at, but in all of these masters of the spiritual life, the masters of being mastered, let's call them, and the spiritual classics that you've mm -hmm. done such a good job of reintroducing to the contemporary American kind of evangelical audience um, and more broadly, a lot of these folks talked about having um, an experience of hitting a wall mm -hmm. or famously St. John of the Cross hitting, finding yourself in the dark night of the soul as, right. as you've written about. How does that factor into the life of faith and spiritual formation? Presumably people that are like most open to being mastered and most attuned through these habits and walking in grace. And then they hit something that is experienced like walking straight into a brick wall at night. The, not first, seeing it. the first thing we need to help people know is that this is going to happen. It is part of the spiritual life. Mm. So we're, don't be surprised by this. I mean, we have people with this, this idea that they've, uh, the quest for the holy grin. I always have to be happy. We're, all going to have times as we learn to walk with God mm. where there is an absence of our sense of the presence of God. God, as best I understand it at times, withdraws mm. our consciousness of his presence so that we learn mm. to walk by faith and not by sight. Mm. And, uh, and what we learn to do in those times is do what we trained mm. to do when we were in the light. We learn to do in the dark. We thank you, Lord, one writer put it, for weary days when desert streams were dry. And first we learned what depth of need thy love could satisfy. Mm. See? Yeah. And that's part of it. And, and it's so characteristic. I mean, when you read the history of great writers in, these, in the spiritual life, mm. uh, without exception, they experience these kinds of things at some point. And mm. for some, for some times... It's a it's a brief period for others more extended. Mm -hmm. uh, I had an experience that lasted eighteen months, mm. and uh, when I entered into that, I thought, uh, I mean, I stopped all speaking, I stopped all writing, mm. and I didn't know that whether I would ever write or speak again. As it turned out, that was about eighteen months, wow. and then and then. There was this sense it's time to hmm. be in the public again. Yeah. See? <laughs> wow. I love that that sense of the absence um, mm -hmm. sort of highlighting the depths of the thirst that's actually mm -hmm. there. The sense right. of, and that is the paradoxical place you get into, whether the wall is the suffering of one of your children or the wall exactly. is, I mean, some, sometimes it's not simply like a psychic sort of sense of the absence of God's presence, although I think that's the core of it, but it's often attended by a oh, rough yeah. patch in your life or a rough patch that maybe you caused for yourself that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And in that absence, there is a paradoxical sense of the gift of it if it's drawing you closer in, if it's if it's sharpening the hunger mm -hmm. um, and the sense of satisfaction when you get back into the light and into that. There's sense. A, a passage that at one time was a <clears throat> pivotal, almost autobiographical passage for me in the book of Jeremiah. Mm. Uh, Jeremiah's enemies had taken him and they threw him down a well. And I believe it's the King James Version that says, and Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And for me, that was almost a metaphor for mm. what I was going through. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, on poetic. Yeah, you're yeah. sunk. You can actually sunk feel yourself in the mire. I love that. thunking down into the bottom <laughs> of a well. Yeah, I think I think that's consoling in a deep way. Um, 
it's not superficial and it's not coating over, you mm-hmm. know, sort of the hiccups um, right. of the spiritual life. I guess an, another direction I've wanted to ask you about is how this... Uh, just yeah, just yeah, before you bring it, let me just say, yeah. because one of the important things is when a person enters into this, mm. yep. what we are to do is stand with them. Yeah. Not try to rescue them. Mm. Not try to pull them out. We just are with them. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing we do together. Yeah. Learning to walk together, not with many words. Mm. And and we walk with another person through the dark night of the soul, as St. John put it. Mm. Mm. Okay, we're not done then. I so my question on the dark night, mm. and I might be in, um, like a, like a sunset of the soul or something right now, mm. where it's like a, I'm not totally sure. But my first response is like a very panicked sense of <laughs> I'm going to do more. I'm actually gonna I'm going to assure myself that I'm not separated from God or the presence of God by right. achieving. So I'm going to start a new book. It's a perfect time, you know, to get a book proposal accepted. So I'm on the <laughs> hot seat to write something or I want to create some content or I want to be more busy. And I feel in that sense, <laughs> the Lord saying that that is not the right sort of response in this season. I don't know. How how do you engage? If you find yourself either in or on your way into what it feels like could be the dark night of the soul, what do you do? What's the advice well, you give? Think of the image of an of a car, automobile. F- faith is like when you put it in gear, you move forward. But there are times when you can't move it forward. When those come, don't put it in reverse. Mm. Put it in neutral and wait. Just wait. Be still. Think of uh, Elisha. I got it wrong. Elijah. There you go. In the cave. Mm. See? And he hears earthquake, wind, and fire, and all of that. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the fire. And then comes, we call it, or it's often translated as still, small voice. Mm. Literally, it's the voice that has no sound. And we wait, that takes some waiting mm. to be open to that. Uh, today, it will be helpful to think about the still small voice and its many competitors. <laughs> the voices that bombard us. That's why learning stillness of soul. There's an old hymn, Be Still My Soul. Thy God is on thy side. Bear patiently. Mm. See, so we learn that. <laughs> we learn that. <laughs> learning it the hard way these and it, days. And it is a learning. It is a process, time, and experience. Yeah. Oh, man, it's beautiful. I uh, One time I was, I was preaching on uh, uh, Moses. Uh, you know, he tried to do the work of God and the power of the flesh killed the Egyptian. Mm. And... Uh, and I, uh, you know, God had to tuck him into the desert for 40 years to learn to do the work of God in the power of the Spirit. Mm. And I was waxing eloquent about that, you know, and I said, uh, so uh, let's learn these lessons so it doesn't take us 40 years like it took Moses. And there was a fellow, Dallas Willard, that was in the mm-hmm. audience there. And he spoke up right at that time. He says, I doubt it. <laughs> and that was an important lesson to me. Mm. I mean, it ruined the sermon, but it was an important <laughs> lesson about space mm. and about timing and yeah. the hidden preparation through which God puts his ministers. And so that we learn, mm. we learn that waiting. Oh, man. (laughs) It's 
beautiful but uh, sobering because you have to uh, actually go through it Mm -hmm. um, to get there, right? That's part of this learning the with God life. Yeah. It's not always sweetness and, no, you know. <laughs> well, that must be one of the sort of like beautiful ironies of having done the work you've done of mind a tradition mm. for its wisdom and resources mm. and repurposed and repackaged them uh, for accessibility to another generation. And yet across your life, I'm sure you've had to developmentally mm. <laughs> learn what they actually mean I and how they to, actually work. And I to, had to experience it too. Yeah. It's all just part of the part of the deal part of the deal <laughs> and it's okay yeah because we learn that god is with us hmm. whether we can sense see many people who begin to enter these things one of the first things they do i mean they they sort of enter in a, the tunnel mm -hmm. the, and what they want to do is run out the front end <laughs> So they'll try to pump up some religious experiences mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, whatever it is. Many people will change churches at that time mm -hmm. uh, because they just feel that, you know, the choir sings off key, the preacher is flat, there's nothing, uh, you know, it's dusty and dry. Mm. And we have to come to the place where we learn to be still through all of that. Mm. Learn to be still, learn to wait. You know, my one of my spiritual heroes is Augustine of mm. Hippo, and he yeah. had this really peculiar act at the end of his life um, that I don't know of any other major author that's done it, but he wrote a whole book called Retractions uh, in which he went back over his catalog of many, many, many books, hundreds, that. you know, hundred books and... Um, he he always said that he learned he liked to write he would write as he learned and learn as he as mm -hmm. he as he wrote so as there's that wrote. sense of like you want to write because you want to learn about it right mm -hmm. and then developmentally he'd look back and say well i kind of got free will wrong when i wrote that that's <laughs> I what i thought at that wrong. time yeah exactly <laughs> um and a lot of it though was just highlighting different things or modifying things and i'm not saying you're anywhere near the end of your life richard but i wonder <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I'm a lot closer. Than <laughs> and retractiones, as it's called in Latin, it sounds kind of like, I mean, he's rejecting. It was not that he was rejecting much of what he wrote. He was just saying, I see it now from a different perspective. Right. And for posterity, I would nuance it this way. Are there things about things you've written or said about the spiritual life that you would sort of finesse differently from the vantage point you're at now? Yeah. I would spend a lot more time working with a reader about uh, solitude and silence and what that does in a person's life. I mean, I, I had it, but but I... It just, I see how much, how valuable this is mm. for the growth of a person's spirit. And I guess I would <clears throat> come down harder on the legalism that is the great danger of this life turning it into a system for blessedness. I mean, uh, I talked about it, but boy, oh boy, mm -hmm. how quickly, how easily we can turn these things and twist them. Woofta. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, uh, it's inimical to the spiritual life. I, I've been thinking about this again. So Augustine was caught up in many controversies, one mm -hmm. about the nature of um, ministerial authority with the Donatists and then the other one with the Pelagians about this idea of how free the human will is and how much right. the spiritual life is actually up to you. Mm -hmm. 
And Robert Marcus, who was this great English uh, theologian who passed away, wrote one of my favorite essays on Augustine called In Defense of Mediocrity. Uh And his argument was that Augustine was preserving, it's tongue in cheek, he's not He's not saying we shouldn't aspire to the great heights of the spiritual life or life with God, but just a reminder that those moments in the church where you think you've ratcheted down and you know exactly what it takes to be a minister with authority or exactly what a spiritual (laughs) hero or athlete looks like, you must remember that they're the danger of pride, which can spoil the spiritual life more than any other vice is lurking, you know? Exactly. And that's just a, it's a sobering reminder. I've been, in, I've been intrigued, Richard, by the turn toward the self in the modern world. I mean, that's a huge, <laughs> broad claim, but I think I feel it very acutely in my own generation, this, what's been called the rise and kind of triumph of a therapeutic understanding of the mm-hmm. self that you want to get in and know the true self and you, the true self has been, um, you know, uh, traumatized and wounded and needs to be taken care of. And if you could just muster up enough self-awareness, then you would be free. You'd be the true you. And that's the kind of uh, happiness that you're looking for. Now, I'm not blasting modern psychology or any of that. I'm just saying that sometimes my understanding of the spiritual life and spiritual practices and journaling or meditation um, it sounds a lot like in Christian circles, what you find out in a modern, more mm. secular vocabulary around therapeutic techniques of self-improvement. And what's the fundamental difference between a Christian understanding um, of these spiritual practices that do include self-awareness and self-knowledge mm-hmm. and a sense of selfhood from a purely, let's say, secular understanding of selfhood? I know that's a super mm-hmm. vague, broad question. Well, that's a good question for us to consider. We are learning to the rhythms of the Spirit to walk with God. And that does involve revealing things about myself Mm. in which I... uh, I learn to uh, gravitate uh, to the pole star of the spirit. Uh, And that's a whole different process of learning to live with God Hmm. because many times it will... uh, It will... uh, reveal to us about ourselves, but not so that I can improve myself, and, mm-hmm. but so that I can learn humility. Mm. See, that's the great uh, forgotten virtue mm. of our day. Mm-hmm. How many, uh, for a pastor looking or for a committee looking for a pastor make that humility one of the great virtues Mm. that we're looking for in a pastor yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah at all oh man and it's hard i mean humility is one of those virtues that feel very indirect Mm -hmm. very much not just a linear ascent up the mountain it's about self-defeat it's about As you know, Saint Benedict um, put it, a kind of radical honesty about yourself and it your is. weaknesses, an identification with Paul's idea that you're the chief of sinners, right? Not just one of the chiefs, but you are the chief the of sinners, chief. and that in that radical humility, a kind of gentleness and openness mm-hmm. to others and mm-hmm. compassion flows out. Exactly. And, you know, Augustine. It all goes back to Augustine, but he does, <laughs> he does say in the City of God, he kind of is ambivalent on whether or not humility is a virtue, or whether or not it's like the ground from which all other true virtues would That's have right. to emerge. That's right. And I think it's in the word hummus there, in mm-hmm. in Latin. It's it's dirt. It's soil. It's being lowly and close to the ground. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that um, is hard to put your finger on though that but Augustine knew this about Roman life was how much virtue 
can get um, polluted by the desire for glory or the desire to be seen. So Rome really had a glory and shame sort of moral vocabulary and Christian understanding of guilt and sin and virtue was a very different uh, Mm -hmm. sort of, so lining these two things up. But in Augustine's mind, the desire for approval, for being seen, for glory, for that which is conferred upon you by the crowd is really inimical to these deeper virtues of the heart and life with God. And you just, I can't help but feel the spectacle of our digital social media lives, (laughs) the desire to be seen or to be liked or to be known. Like, what is that doing to the soul? You know, (laughs) I don't even want to know. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, well, you take, for example, a book like The Cloud of Unknowing. Mm. <laughs> we don't even know who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How about uh, bringing that before a publications committee? <laughs> the marketing people wouldn't go for that. <laughs> no, exactly. How many followers does the <laughs> yeah, unknown what, author have? What's your platform? <laughs> what kind of platform do you have? Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's um, let's turn um, to the scriptures for a minute. One of the things that you and I have collaborated on is thinking about how we introduce George Fox students to the Christian faith through mm-hmm. our freshman sequence of courses, the mm-hmm. fall courses on the Bible. And one of the coolest things in my couple um, past couple years here is that we now offer each student who comes in a Bible, not mm-hmm. just any Bible, but the Life with God <laughs> study Bible. Thanks. Uh, thanks to you and your crew. And uh, it's a great nod to your, in, your heritage here, but also introducing students to reading the Bible in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So many, 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 many students who have gone to Christian colleges, universities, or seminaries have had a very jarring experience of an upbringing that read the Bible in a certain way through youth <laughs> ministry and at home about primarily your relationship with God and knowing God and yourself through the scriptures. And then you get to higher ed and you learn, wow, there's all sorts of crazy, amazing things to know uh, about the ancient world, where these texts came from, how the text got down to us. And in that important academic critical reflection, some people find that their spirit uh, gets jarred yes. in right. a certain way and they right. can't reconnect with that earlier form of reading the mm-hmm. text to see yourself in it, to know um, God through the text. And so one of the things about your Life with God study Bible that we give the students, but also your mm-hmm. your book, um, Life with God, which is really about how to read the Bible, is about reading it in this other not this other way, but in this amplified way of having it be include your relationship with God. And you say at the beginning in your word to the reader that first, uh, your your group in creating the Life with God Study Bible found that the unity of the Bible is discovered in the development of life with God as a reality on earth centered in the person of Jesus. Through scripture, we heard God whispering down through the centuries, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Then we heard God asking a question that searches the human person to the depths. Are you willing to be with me? Mm -hmm. The scripture reveals that saying yes to this invitation thrusts human beings into life with God daily, hourly, moment by moment. I just love that. So it's so beautiful. Yeah. How do you advise um, college students, seminary students who are coming into the academic uh, world of the Bible with mm-hmm. all of its amazing, you know, mm-hmm. history and apparatuses for study, study and all these things, but also the heart is hungering for this mm-hmm. encounter with mm-hmm. the scripture. How do you integrate those two things? How well, has that worked? Well, Lexio, mm. spiritual reading, where we open our heart and we are with the scripture to teach us. And we're not trying to amass knowledge. We're not trying to prove this doctrine or that doctrine. Mm. We're just sitting before the scripture and letting it teach us. Mm. And then we can uh, we can be formed by it and let it teach us. So, you 
And that's not opposed to the critical, mm. historical, grammatical study right. of the Bible. Yep. It just expands all of that. Mm. And we, we learn that we can sit with a passage for... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, had people at, at the seminary at Finkenwald that they mm -hmm. had to meditate on a passage of Scripture, the same passage, every day for a week. Mm. And this was not just the students, professors as well. Mm. And so you take a small passage and you just stay with it. Um, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we just live with that. Hmm. Lean into it. What, Lord, do you want to teach me out of this? Hmm. What is the easy yoke of Christ? This has been a production of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the George Fox Talks podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you stream things on your phone or computer. Check us out on the web at georgefox.edu slash talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash georgefoxtalks, 